Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Beyond the Album Cover with Jarrell Mason, where we get inside the entertainment industry with those in the know and giving their flowers while they're here to be celebrated. With me right now, I have director of an upcoming documentary on this R&B group that set the world on fire, writing for Mary J. Blige, Shinehead, you know their hits, Let Me Be The One, Come Inside, Love Thing, Funny How Time Flies, Feel Like The First Time, Buddy White, along with Jeff Saunders and the late Kenny Green, these guys were really innovative new talents reaching out. So let's give it up for Jason, director of Music, Lyrics, and Life, and Buddy White from the group Intro. Welcome to Beyond the Album Cover, guys. What's up? Thank you for having us, Jarrell. Appreciate you, man. Not a problem. It's not a problem. It's my pleasure to have you guys on. So how have both you guys been holding up individually because of COVID? Staying alive like the Bee Gees. That's my number one slogan. You know, man, we've been um, we've been we've been holding it down, getting this project done. You know, pretty much the end of the production has turned into like a virtual uh, situation. And Jason is so talented with with the with the what he does with the filming and stuff that you know it it, it almost doesn't feel like it's virtual. You know, it's it's, it's long work days every day getting to the end of this thing, man. And um. As Behind me, look, you can see the as I'm editing behind me. It, it, <laughs> so, and look, okay. I'll be honest, it's, it's the only thing that kept my sanity probably through this last year because this year has been crazy. So, it was, it was, it was actually a sanity keeper for me, right? And yeah, and as I can see, it's still being worked on. So, when can we expect the documentary to drop? Saturday, looking, June 4th. Yeah, that's it. That's the, that's the target. That's it. All right, can yeah. you repeat the date for the people once again? June 4th, June 4th, 2021. All right. And will this be available in streaming and on hard copy on DVD? Streaming for sure. Um, we, we, it'll be digitally um, available. We may do some DVDs. I don't know. That's, that's kind of, you know, based on the distributor, what we're going to end up doing with them. But yeah, definitely it's going to be uh, available for stream for sure. And we're working on something, to, you know, to, to, to get our television rights on as well so we can move it, you know worldwide that way so we, we we got a lot of things cooking right now yeah that's what you do during this time you get everything ready like a nice gumbo all your ingredients so by the time it come out of the pot it's good and ready to eat yeah ready so we almost there yeah because i know for sure i'll be first in line when it comes out on streaming so i can watch this because you know intro one of my favorite r&b groups and we're gonna kick it off buddy how did you get your start prior to intro in the music industry was music something you always wanted to do or did you have an original plan before jumping into the music game um man it, it, for me it started in the church i started on um, playing piano playing playing hymns in the church Just classic gospel hymns, and um, that just kept music, just always kept me excited. And I've always been excited about not just music, but making music. I, I think I was more excited in making music than listening to music. I, I barely listened to the radio growing up, but I always just wanted to create music. And um, that's been going on since I think I was probably like between five and 10 years old. Right. I understand about that church life. I'm from North Carolina, so you know you go to church every Sunday and you hear that good organ. Everybody get that Holy Ghost, and you know how it goes when the Holy Ghost comes into church. 
Yeah, man. Yeah, that, that was it for me. That's, that was the start as far as, um, you know, watching my dad play the piano and stuff around the house and in the church and stuff. That was, that was my music. So did you naturally learn how to play or was it where you learned how to read music and go through the traditional way of playing the piano? Or was it more on feel? I, I, I started on my own. And when my father saw that I had an interest, he didn't really have time to sit down and teach me. So he hired a, a, a piano teacher named Gregory Hall. And Gregory Hall would come over to my house on Saturdays. And Gregory Hall would say, um, he'd sit down and he'd show me the finger lessons like, you know. And then when he'd take a break from showing me the finger lessons, I'd be on there doing stuff like. He'd be like, hold on a second, show me that. What did you just do? Show me that. So I'm like, wait a minute. My father is paying you to come here to teach me piano. And now you're asking me to show you stuff. So fast forward a few weeks into these piano lessons, me and my sister came up with a, with a nice little scheme because my dad would leave $20 for me to give to Gregory Hall. So Greg would come over and my sister would tell him that I'm not there. I went to baseball practice. Then he'd leave and we'd ship, split the money. I give her $10, I take $10. Then when my father come home and he'd be like, well, what did you learn today? I'd be like. Like the stuff that Greg was teaching me. And we did that for, for a couple of months and stuff until the, um, like something crazy happened with, 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 the, with, the, um, with the musician, with the um, piano teacher. I'm not even going to go into it. But um, yeah, I taught myself, man, just listening to music and um, just like, just, I don't know, man. It's, it's from God. It's straight up from God. That's all I can say, man. I have no idea how I, how I can play today. I don't know. It's just God. Yeah, because if we look at the history of singers that came out of the church, it is a breeding ground for those that came into the music industry because there's singing and there's singing. And when you go into the church, you got to be able to S-A-N-G. And we know of right. some real singers that came from the church, Casey, Jojo, Aretha, Johnny Gill, Coco, Aaron Hall. We could just go down the list of all of the musicians and singers that came out of the church. That's it. Yep. Now, speaking of church, I noticed that a lot of the male R&B groups from the 90s named Commissioned as a big influence on their sound. Now I had a chance to interview Mitchell Jones a while back on my radio show. And I was telling him that, you know, groups like yourself, Joe Voice Boyz II Men and Shy mentioned Commission as a heavy influence on them. So what was your take buddy on what made Commission sound so R&B even though they're a gospel group? Commission was our number one influence for our vocals. Like we, we study commission. We study commission so hard that Puffy stole our DVD from us. We had, we had, all we had was like commission DVD. He still, let me not use that word. We lent him our, our commission DVDs and he never gave them back. Um, we, yeah, from, from their harmonies, their style of music, we pretty much um, followed their lead and just added like, R&B lyrics to like their style of vocals. And then, you know, we mixed in the hip hop music and stuff like that. But I can honestly say Commission, a um, little bit of um, Take Six, you know, anybody that was doing things vocally, cause we were heavy into vocal productions. Yep. 
So did the winings have any influence as well? Um, not as much as con as commission. If we add the winings, then we're gonna have to add a whole bunch of other people. Like it was really commission was the main influence. Yep. Mm, yeah, commission. I, I did, it was. I did have my my favorite winings songs. Like, ain't no need to worry, cause the night's gonna play. It'll be all over. You know, I was definitely into that. But um, but it, it was definitely commission and and those things like that. Right. And for me, I tell people this all the time. If it wasn't for the Winans Return album, that was my introduction into gospel because, you know, that album produced by Teddy Riley. So let's set the stage for those that don't know about the new Jet Swing. Prior to 86, 87, R&B and rap was on two separate sides of the room. Like, you're the boy, she's the girl. You don't know how to approach her, but as soon as they come to the middle, they make a sweet sound, change the landscape yeah. forever. So what was that like when you first heard those early Teddy Riley productions and knowing that R&B, it's not just for my parents, it's for us and it has a hip hop edge. Man, exactly. Like Guy Guy made R&B cool to do because um, prior to Guy, I wanted to be into rap music because that's where all the cool guys were into rap music. And then when I saw a Guy with their swag, the leather jackets and stuff like that, and um, my guy, Nelson Brown, who was originally in the group intro, his brother played the drums for I'll Be Sure. So that got us a chance to go into some of the guy rehearsals. Like in Manhattan, we go to like the rehearsal bay. I think it was Rocket or one of these other places by Madison Square Garden. And we were sitting there and I got a chance to look at Guy. And I was like, that's what I want to do. Like, this is cool. Like R&B music is really cool. Look at these dudes and the people around them and stuff, the swag and stuff. And this was years before intro, but that was kind of that kind of like planted the seed. So that new Jack Swing, today, um, guy, uh, Father MC, Jodeci, you know, yeah, Keith Sweat. Mm, so that whole Teddy Riley GR production sound. Yep, 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 yep. Mm, Zan, it was redhead. Man, Teddy Riley set the world yep. on fire. Who? Redhead Kingpin, yep. I feel, doesn't give, give enough love, enough credit for his production. Redhead Kingpin was is the beast, man. Yep. Mm -hmm. I, could, I could probably sit here and say a, and sing a whole Redhead Kingpin record right now, like this many years later. Mm -hmm. and yeah, and do the right thing, not talking about a black black or white thing, because that would cause conflict and make this illegit. But your definition of legit and illegitimate is confusing now the redhead want to spit. That makes things clearer, because in about a year or two, what you do is look up in the mirror, and what you see is the image of hate on your brothers and your sisters. And, you know, like, I still remember that joint right there. I can't tell you uh, the records that's on the radio right now, but I can, I can, I can dig back into my, into my mind, and, and those are the records that, like, stuck with me. So yeah, shout out to Redhead Kingpin, man. Yeah, and for those of you that don't know, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of trivia for you. Do the Right Thing originally was supposed to have been the main theme of Do the Right Thing, but what happened ended up losing out to Fight the Power and Do the Right Thing later went on the soundtrack for the Wes Craven movie, People Under the Stairs. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. I know Big Bubba is singing that hook. Do the right thing. You got to do the right thing. Do the right thing. Jack, I never knew that. That's dope, man. Yeah. And so, Big Bub, I tell people all the time, Big Bub vocally to me sounded like what Luther Vandross would have sounded like had he would have embraced New Jack Swing 
and Hip Hop Soul. Today, out of New Jersey, signed yep. to Motown. And I believe before they got signed, I believe Bernard Bell was originally supposed to have been in today. I believe. I'm not sure. Okay. You're probably right, man. Yep. Bernard Bell, yes. For those that don't know, brother of Regina Bell. If you look at all of the Teddy Riley production songwriting credits, you'll see his name. You'll see Tammy Lucas' names. You'll see a whole yep. bunch of people listed alongside Teddy because when I think about what he did in that apartment in the St. Nick's projects all of those records did that add for you like man if he could do it I can do it and I gotta find some way to get my foot in the door man I, I we we wanted to actually work with Teddy Riley but at that the time when we came out Teddy was living in Virginia yeah he had already moved to Virginia Beach so we never really got a chance to um, work with him. So if, if he had still been in New York, you know, cause we did most of our production. We did actually, we did all of our production right here in New York, going back and forth from the Bell House, the Dave Hall House, the Eddie F House. But if had Teddy Riley still been in New York, I'm pretty sure we would have probably stopped by his house and came up with something amazing. Um, fast forward, we end up meeting um, Teddy later on by going out to his house in um, Virginia Beach. And uh, we actually got into a Blackstreet video for an unreleased song, um, um, give me that bump. Mm -mm. Good life. They did a song called "Good Life," and um, they did a video for it. And um, it it just got leaked on the internet not too long ago. But um, definitely hearing that new jack swing and seeing these guys with the swag, the leather jackets, the gold chains, like made us want to do it. Made made us want to do it. Right, and I got to give a big mention to Abstract, first New Jack Swing Lovers, Abstract, Right and Hype, and then later on, Mary and Marsha went on to form the duo Eminem with Get to Know You Better, and Mary Brown, well-accomplished vocal Brown. coach, songwriter, if you Mary listen. Brown is, Mary, Mary Brown is phenomenal. Mary Brown is phenomenal. She's still ahead of her time. Mm -hmm. yep. I definitely agree. So tell me about the formation of Intro. Well, I'm, I, I kind of want to save some for the documentary, but I'll tell you that I met Kenny Green in the uh, in the military. I met him in the Army down in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. One of my buddies introduced me to him, and um, he he was a vocalist. I was a pianist, so we started getting together and sitting down at the piano and him singing, and that was pretty much the start of it, like the um, the nucleus. Okay, and shout out to everybody in the Vietnam and uh, all military vets. We thank you for your service. Now, were there any other labels in play besides Atlantic? Because by this point, you guys had built a buzz throughout the industry with your writing for Shinehead, Try My Love, and Mary J. Mm -hmm. um, during, during, the, during the height of intro, after we did the Mary J. Blige songs, um, Eddie... Um, held a dinner, a dinner at his house on a Friday night, and he invited all of the heads of all of the labels, like every all the top people from the labels, the Gerald Busby, the Sylvia Rones, like the top people from all the labels. He he scheduled a meeting for them on that on a Friday night to his house, and he had us there. And I I remember Heavy being there, and all he did was play intro records in the house real loud the whole night while they were eating. So as the records was coming on, you see people eating, they be like, what the hell, who, do, who did, that's them too? That, what the, what? You know, he, he, he over, he smothered them with an intro that night. 
So by Tuesday of the next week, we had to deal with Atlantic because I'm sure on that Monday, they was on the phone like, yo, we want that group. We got to have that group. Right. So that's, yeah. There were, there were other labels. Right. And it was crazy because by this time, you guys have built the name within the industry, like I mentioned earlier, Mary J, Shinehead, and then doing the work on Uptown with 5MC, All, All I Want close to you so you knew the name and you knew the voices so by the time the debut came out in 93 it was already set it was a it was a definitely an advantage that we had the opportunity to work with the artists before we came out it kind of like set the stage for us and our sound was already on the radio so it wasn't like when people heard a heard like love thing for the first time it wasn't like they were hearing unfamiliar voices. They they heard it, but they it was just a new name attached to it. Yeah. Right. And Love Thing, for those of you that don't know, samples What I Am by Eddie Brickell, the New Bohemians, which in turn was sampled by Brand Nubian for Slow Down. Mm -hmm. That's correct. Shout yeah. out to Sadat X. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and or Jamal and Grand Pooba. Grand Pooba, yeah, because by the time the debut album came out, it was a shift in the sound of R&B because New Jack Swing, it was very dance heavy, BPM was very high, but when Hip Hop Soul came in, it was more rugged, more aggressive, more, mm, more street. So how were you guys able to blend the sweet and the street? Well, we took off the shoes and put on the Timberlands because a lot of times we would go into the club with shoes on, they would end up getting messed up. Like we go into the tunnel, going to the um the, the Muse Club. We was noticing they was playing New Jack Swing and stuff, but depending on how we went the address, it's like a lot of times our shoes was getting messed up. So it was like, let's 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 let's, let's just roll with what's going on, you know. Let's 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 put on the Tims. Let's just let's just wear some sneakers. Let's just wear some jeans. It's not about how we look right now. It's about how we sound. And um that that image kind of stayed kind of like stayed with us. It leaked into the first album and stuff. The, the the Tims and the jeans and the jackets and stuff. And, uh, you know, we call it the Ghetto Fabulous. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and Ghetto Fabulous, the late Andre Harrell with Uptown. It was the merging mm -hmm. of the streets and the sweet aspiration high life. Because if you go back and look at pictures of rap parties from the late 70s, early 80s, a lot of the heavy hitters, and if you know about the heavy hitters, you know what I'm talking about. They were dressing fresh, dressing sweet, yeah. and they had right. the reputation of, don't mess with us, and a lot of the rappers kind of rolled within those circles. Yeah. It was it was about fashion. You know, Gene Griffin introduced it to, um, to, to Guy. Like, for us, we had a stylist, Misa Hilton, she was like on top of the of the um the styling game during that time. So she brought a lot of swag um towards us. She was familiar with the, all of the designers in Harlem and New York and stuff. You know, I'm from Brooklyn, Jeff is from Queens, Kenny's from Detroit, but Misa was able to to put this image of the group together where that kind of separated the three of us to where we had our our own individual like image. Like I was always in the hats in the shades. Jeff always had his shirt open. You know, and Kenny pretty much could do whatever he wanted to do. He was he was the vocal god. Right. Yep. Right. And can we talk about the untouchables? Eddie F, David Jam Hall, Bell. And if you know Heavy D, somebody for me, when Heavy D says Bell, get funky on me, that's who he's talking about, correct? 
Novell. That's right. Novell Hodge, one of the most talented producers that I've known. He did um, Ribbon in the Sky, Come Inside, Feels Like the First Time, um, One of a Kind Love. A lot of the melodic records that you hear from intro, that came from Novell Hodge. Dave Hall, on the other hand, he brought the street funk. He brought that uptown knock. Let me be the one. Funny how time flies. You know, um, my love's on the way. Those records, and then Eddie F just brought us that straight funk, like from um, like the heavy D and the boys, like Love Thing, the um, hip hop beats with the heavy pianos and stuff on it. So Untouchables, um, collectively, they had a team of producers that at that time were pretty much in control of the music industry. They was working with everybody from Mary J. Blige, Christopher Williams, Madonna, um, you know, you name it. Mm -hmm. yeah. And was Donnell Jones with Untouchables right around this time or did he come later? We all lived together. We all lived together at Playground. Donnell Jones was right there with us. The whole come up while intro was working on our first album. Donnell Jones was with us like every day when Donnell was working with um with a group Porsche and then onto his project. We was around him the whole time. It's like just a family. Yeah, because I remember the compilation that came out with Eddie F and the Untouchables and the I Can Make You Feel Real Good record by Porsche, which features Donnell Jones. And I was like, oh man, this joint is a monster. And then as we see now with Donnell Jones and his solo career that the fruit started during those days with the Untouchables. Now the debut album, I tell people this all the time, no skips, no skips album. So mm -hmm. what was the mindset going into the making of the debut and how is still a classic album 28 years later? Um, we, we didn't, we didn't have the opportunity like most artists have today where you can record music on a laptop. It's like we had to take it more serious because these two inch tapes that we were recording on, it cost like two over $200 to record on. So if you're gonna go in the studio and start laying stuff down, you gotta kind of know what you're doing. But then at the same time, you know, we had Kenny Green who was like the songwriter of the year. We were doing Dave Hall who was a producer of the year. It just seemed like God put everything together for us. Like we just like, for some reason, everything was just falling into place. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying it was easy, but there's a lot of things that were just happening and just falling into place. Like it was just supposed to be happening. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you definitely had to make sure that everything was on point because studio time was not cheap. Studio time was not cheap. I'm telling you, like what, what we spend on one song, Back then, people probably recording whole albums now. And the same thing with, with music videos. What, what we spent on our music videos back then, like you could do a whole album of music videos now. It's like technology has made things so much more affordable now. But at the same time, people are, or being as more affordable, people are not putting the craft. They're not spending as much time, you know, on the content of it. It's more quality. It's more quantity than quality. I think these days. Right. So, well, we slow, we, we've kept it slow. We, like you'll see when you see the documentary, there's going to be something like that was made like for that era that we were in because of the quality of it. Like nothing is rushed. We don't care like how long it, how long it took or whatever. Like we, we, we're almost going into year two on the production of it. And that doesn't bother us at all. We got so you know, it's it's a it's a it's it's a really really good situation going on behind the scenes that I want to talk about, but I can't really talk about as right. far as like, you know. Right. So we're definitely going to wait Shout on that. When Evans, and he he did his thing on his documentary. Let me tell you, if I had the opportunity to work 
with another like director or producer. If they even if they would have came up to me and were like, Cameron or Spike want to do this, do that documentary. I'm like, nah, I'm good. I want I want to do it with Jason. I appreciate that, man. Always, you know, I always appreciate that. <laughs> you, this guy, no joke. The world will see. I'm telling you, the world will know Jason Evans, not just from the intro documentary, but the things that's gonna follow. Yeah, we are definitely right. look, looking forward to it when it drops in June. So I want to back up a little bit. You guys did reminisce for Mary J. Blige off of What's the 411. And yesterday we just lost one of the pioneers of hip hop, Prince Marky D from the Fat Boys and also production work alongside Corey mm -hmm. Rooney with uh Prince Marky D and the Soul Convention, they did real love for Mary J. Can we just talk about the impact of Prince Marky D, not only as an artist, but as a producer? Well, I grew up in East New York, Brooklyn. So Fat Boys were from East New York. So they were like my hometown rap group. So shout out to the to the Fat Boys, you know, rest in peace to Mark and Buffy. And um, they, they just was that group. When the Fat Boys came out, it was like something that I've never seen before. You know what I'm saying? I started eating more when they came out. Um, where I currently live, without giving too much information, I'm walking distance from the, from the Soul Convention where Mark and Corey had their studio and where we used to go when they was working with um, Mary J. Blige. Like, it's like literally in my neighborhood. And um, I always feel connected when I drive past that building and I always said, oh, man, I wish they were still there. You know, who knows? I probably would have become a part of their team and stuff. But um, so it's always a good dude, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, you very rarely heard him curse or seeing him upset or, you know what I'm saying, going out or getting involved in, in stuff. It's just always about the music. And even though he was a rap artist, he was in his heart like an R&B producer. He could do some really good R&B records. And when you listen to his music, to me, he was almost like a next level heavy D because he had that flow, but he also had the music. He could also do the music through his own tracks, you know? So He, he, was, a, he was a legend. I, I, I want to chime in and just say, like I said, I, it's funny because I was spinning a bunch of old records today and I started spinning Christopher Williams Changes album. And I and Don't You Wanna Make Love Tonight come, comes on. And I said, who produced this? Just out of the blue. And mm -hmm. it turned out to be, you know, Prince Marky D and Mark Rooney. And um, you look at the songs that you don't even know the dude was involved in. And then he had his own thing when he came back and did his solo career, like maybe you should swing my way. And yeah. you know, who got like history in music that goes back 20, 30 years in the 90s, he was already in the, in the business like 10 years. So you got 30 years on it. And ironically, we took over the show for Biz and Biz was, you know, Biz has been ill and, and recovering. I don't want to give too much about him. He lives around the corner where I'm at right now. And um, to think that he filled in for Biz while Biz was ill and then he passed before anything even happened with Biz, thank God he's still rolling. So you just, this is a crazy, crazy thing. I, I won't lie to you. When, when Buddy hit me with the text about him going, it hit me in my chest because I had just posted a video with him telling that crazy story from Eddie Murphy's house. So it, it's, it's just wild that he's gone and that he left so suddenly like that. Yeah, because I was just blasting something special and typical reasons a few days ago. And I tell people this all the time, the free album, 
Very, very slept on album. And the production work that he and Corey Rooney did with Menagerie, oh man, had Menagerie would have yeah. exploded, that would have been a game changer. Yeah, it was dope too. Yeah, so we want to send condolences to uh, Prince Markety's family and friends. And let's have a moment of silence right now for Prince Markety. Thank you. Now, with. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Stick them, ha ha ha, stick them. Stick them, ha ha ha, stick them. Remember when that came on the radio? I was like, what the hell is that? Stick them, ha ha ha, stick them. I was like, what the hell is that? Like, you know, and it just pierced through the radio. This able to take that human voice and turn it into instruments is crazy. Right. And also, one of the first acts to really get that tour money on the Fresh Fest and have an endorsement deal with Swatch. Wow. Man, you know your stuff. Yes, yes, sir. I I do this for for a living, man. I have watched Video Soul and Soul Train faithfully as a kid, just soaking up information, reading Jet. So I do my research. Awesome. Awesome. Yes, sir. So now with Don't Leave Me. Man, that ballot, best ballot on the debut. And I don't know if you know this, but Damian Lillard sampled Don't Leave Me on a joint that he put out a couple years back. Oh, he sent me a nice check. Y'all got some NBA money for that. Shout out to Damian Lillard. Hell yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Killer Dame Dillard, that's his rap name. Yep. Right. So did it right too. It's a, it's a couple of other artists, a couple younger artists that that did some records with um Don't Leave Me. You know, they never reached out to to get licensed or anything. And I'm not, I'm the type of dude, I'm never gonna go after nobody like that. But Dame Dillard did the right thing. Yeah, he said he sent me a nice little NBA check. Yeah, make sure that paperwork is correct. Mm-hmm. He did, he went through the right channels, he went through the licensing and all of that stuff. Like people that did that had really nothing to do with the record got checks off of that. Right. Yeah. Now, speaking of sampling or covering, I should say, I tell mm-hmm. people that your intro's cover of Ribbon in the Sky, best mm-hmm. Stevie Wonder cover I've ever heard. So what was the process going through getting clearance and the blessing of Mr. Wonder to do Ribbon in the Sky and knowing that you guys did it justice? Well, we didn't want to do it. Um, Tim Patterson pushed us to do it. And it's like one of the last songs that we ended up recording because we didn't want to do it. We didn't want to do a Stevie Wonder song because we felt, you know, out of respect for him, you know, it, you're either going to get it right or you're going to get it wrong. There's nothing in the middle. People going to like it or hate it. And, you know, we didn't want to take the chance of people, of all the people that might hate it, but we did it anyway. And um, they threw it on the album and it ended up being a song on the album that actually carried the album. Yep. So. Yeah, shout out to Ribbon in the Sky. And it only came out the way that it did out of respect for Stevie Wonder. Mm. It's just like, we can't fail with this. We can lose with God on our side. <laughs> Those was all the lyrics we was hearing while we was recording that song. <laughs> all the other stuff didn't matter. Yep. Mm, so that's like, if you're going to cover a record that's very well known, you better do it mm-hmm. right. And there's only a small handful that can take an original record cover it and make it their own thank you man yeah so yes so come inside this record Mm -hmm. i'm sure a lot of people said it was on my slow jam mixtape 
So how did that song come about? And I didn't know about the extra stuff until I brought the CD because Video Soul will always cut it off right before it got heavy. Oh yeah, <laughs> it ended up getting heavy. Um, sitting on the porch um, at Novell House with um, Kenny, afternoon, probably like three o'clock in the afternoon, Novelle starts playing the piano parts for Come Inside. And we probably wrote the song within an hour. And then, you know, the production of We Left, um, Novelle produced the record, and then we took it into the big studio. And that's where the, the ending part came about and stuff. And um, it just was like, you know, they said that um, statistics will show that during that era, during that time that Come Inside was out, that the um, high school birth rate went up in the United States. And um, there's yeah, people that tried to hold us accountable for that, for that. And I've actually had people tell me that I owe them child support. <laughs> yeah, the, the birth rate. It, it's just a fun record. It was just a fun record. You know, we what we did, right? This is another thing that, that we did. It's another intro gimmick. We always looked at what the what was the hottest thing that, that that they did. What's the hottest thing that that group did? And let's make it even hotter. So I remember hearing um, freaking Aaron Hall's like, let me come inside. I want to bring you joy. Oh, baby. Tease me tonight. Girl, I feel all right. I want to love you all over. He had a riff in there. It's like, I want to come inside. Let me bring you joy. And I was like, Damn, he only gave him a little bit. He should have did, did that more and more. That should have been the chorus. So let me come inside. Bam. Yeah, we just took from what we we made, what was old, new, and tried to make it bigger. You know, no, there's no new ideas out here. So when people are like, oh, this record sound like that record. Yeah, because everything repeats itself. You know, history repeats itself. Lyrics repeats itself. Melodies. You know, you, you don't want to go so deep to where you get sued and stuff, but you can always do that. And if the artist is respectful enough, then they'll see that that they was pretty much paying homage to us as opposed to just biting off of us and stuff like that. Because if they, if any, if Guy and Teddy, if they ever heard Come Inside, I could tell you tonight, they never even put that together. Let me come inside. I doubt if they put that together, you know, unless, we, unless I said it. Man, who but knew? that's pretty much... Yeah, and I want to know who is the female singing on the hook for coming side because I always thought that was Coco on the hook. A lot of people thought it was Mary J. Blige, but that was a girl named Sabrina. Uh, she's from East New York, and um, Atlantic Records actually wanted to sign her and make her like the Mary J. Blige, and we would have like wrote her whole album and did everything, but her boyfriend didn't want her to be a um, an R&B singer, so she just fell back. Yeah. Man, I, I I never knew. And like I said, come inside, classic record. And for those that don't know about the art of making a slow jam mixtape, you'll take all your singles, put them by your boom box, record them one by one, play it, call that girl that you like on that telephone. You know, you had to stretch that long cord and maybe go to a room on the side uh -huh. to give you some privacy. And then put yeah. that deep bass voice on like, hey, girl. You know what I got for you, right? Press play and let those songs do the talking. And I ain't gonna say Sit, no man. more. Have it on in the car. Like I've never, honestly, like in my single days, I've never played like intro in the car with a girl. Or I've never made love to an intro record ever in my life. Because I just felt like I would be playing myself. 
So it's just always been something different. I'm gonna find Tony, 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 mint condition of somebody I, with my hand on the Bible. I've never made love to an intro record. Yeah, don't leave me coming sign none of those records. They they don't exist when I'm in the romantic realm because I always feel like they're gonna be like, oh yeah, he he trying to angle, he trying to get a you know trying to get a one up. So yeah. Yeah, that'd be so kind of weird. That has enjoyed it. Say it again. I said that would be kind of weird to get busy yeah. with your vocals in the back. Exactly. I did it. Yeah, I never did, did it. Do it. Huh? What's that? Do it. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I did it just once. Do it. All right, man. Look, yeah, you I'm, make me want to pause some JB and get busy now. I feel like I need to do <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, but it makes me think about, you know, like I said, I was seven going on eight when this record came out and all of those records like Come Inside, Freak Me, Knocking the Boots had us 90s kids thinking, I don't know what they're talking about, but I sure want to find out. And some of us probably found out later or earlier than others, if you know what I mean, <laughs> what that yeah. was. Yeah, yeah. All right. Now with Ecstasy of Love, yeah. for those of us that had the CD. Mm -hmm. It was a bonus track on the CD, so I know a lot of the cassette owners are like, I love this record, but I can only hear it when I go to my friend's house with the CD. So was it because of the time constraints on cassette as to why Ecstasy of Love was only a bonus <clears throat> cut on the CD? Um, that happened because, um, shout out to Janoi Get Paid Parker. He also did Downtown for SWV. He's the only producer on our album that wasn't signed to the Untouchables. So they didn't want um, Ecstasy of Love on the album at all. And um, it took like, I think the executive producer of the album was like out of town or something like that. And we recorded the record with Jannard Parker and just delivered it to the label on our own. And they were tight because it was such a hot record. So then to slight us, there's like, well, we're not putting it on a cassette. But then the label was like, well, we, we definitely gonna put it on the CD. So it, it ended up making it on the CD anyway. He's the only producer that wasn't signed to the Untouchables. That's why you got the weirdness of why it's not here and why it's there. You know, the, the old shanky janky music industry shit. You know what I'm saying? Industry rule Season number 4080. Record industry people are shady. Shady. Yeah, shout out to Janelle Parker. It was a, very, a really, really good song. Um, I think Jeff said he wrote it while he was sitting on the table on the toilet because uh, so, he wrote the hook. I don't know what type of ecstasy of love he was feeling sitting on the toilet writing it, but that's that's what he says. He wrote the song sitting on the toilet. Well, but I'm sure some people feel the ecstasy of love once they let it go. And you know what that it is. But now in terms I'm just, of I'm just I'm just repeat I'm just repeating his words. I'm not adding nothing to it. I'm not taking nothing from it. Right. You know? Now with the process of songwriting, did you guys all collaborate together in the studio all sitting in one spot or was it where everybody went separately to bring write their pieces and then reconvene later to see what we get a lot of times we'd get the track and we'd write the song on the way to the studio in the car we just have the track playing on the cassette in the car and, and be writing on the way to the studio that way once we got to the studio we, we, we didn't have to be there that long we, we wanted it to be recording sessions, not writing sessions. Because at that time, who knows how much money we was paying an hour. We didn't want to sit there and write songs. So a lot of times, by the time we got to the studio, the, the song was like almost more than halfway written or the concept was there. And then we just started um, writing. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, Kenny was the primary songwriter. Like he he could write so much faster than than myself, than Jeff or myself. So it's like we just had like the songwriting machine with us. Wow. And I noticed that when Kenny does hit did his runs and riffs, it almost has a jazz feel influence to it. Cause like if you listen to Love Thing when he goes, it has that kind of like that jazzy riff. On the way to the studio, we listen to everybody from Thelonious Monk, um, Billy Holiday, you know, all these other type of music that we wanted to throw into our situation. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now, I just had The Real Seduction on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and you guys yeah, but- did Ain't Nothing Wrong for them. How did that come about? Well, Ain't Nothing Wrong is one of the songs that we actually recorded for our first album as well. There are a lot of songs out there that were released in the 90s, Real Seduction, um, So For Real. You know, I could go on and on. It's like there's a lot of songs out there that if we could have put 20 songs on our album, then then those songs might have been on our album. Like Let Me Be The One wasn't for intro. Let Me Be The One was for Mary J. Blige, but she didn't have room on her album for it. So Let Me Be The One became my album. You know, you just go into the studio with these producers and you just bang stuff out and depends on where it goes. You know, a lot of times you don't even know where it goes until it comes out. Now, you stated that Let Me Be The One was originally supposed to be an MJB record. Now, how is that to readjust a song that was written for a female from the female's perspective and then translate it back Mm -hmm. and make it fit your sound? Well, we, we just we always write it in the male perspective. Every song that we've written, we've always written it in a male perspective and then just let the females change it around. Like even when you listen to Reminisce, Love No Limit, My Love, it's like it's like gender, gender free. It's not saying a lot of him or her. It's just telling a story about love and, you know, music, love and lyrics, life and lyrics. I'm, I'm trying to plug the documentary again. Yeah, I see Jason up there. <laughs> hey, you, yeah, you yeah, got to gotta plug it as, as many times as you want. Now, the life. remix to yeah, Love man, No I can't. Crazy. Say it again? The remix to Love No Limit off the What's the 411 remix album, Bananas. <laughs> yeah. And it samples Keep Rising to the Top <laughs> by Kenny Burke. They did. They did an excellent job with the remix. They remixed the hot. Yeah, I still bang that What's the 411 remix album to this day. Now, the debut album's out. It's on fire everywhere. And what's the mindset going back into the studio to record the New Life album? It was kind of somber because right before we went into to record the album, Kenny's dad passed away. So the whole New Life album turned into from a dance party, let's get up and jam, to pretty much a gospel, um, inspirational type of album. It was totally not what people were looking for. It was not what they was a not what they were expecting. That's why the slow response. I mean, people were starting to respond to it over the years, but even myself, if I like, I've brought albums and then I went back in to get the second album, album number two. And a lot of times, album number two is not as good as album number one. But I know that we could have produced the album number two that was just as good as album number one or better had the um the politics of his father's passing not like played a role in it. So right. that's pretty much an inspirational gospel music dedicated to um to um Mr. Nathaniel, who's right. Kenny's, Kenny's dad. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought the new life album was just as good as the first one to me. 
no skips, feels like the first time, funny how time flies, love me better. I mean, the album cuts for me were just as good as the singles on you guys. I like albums. it. It's just a different taste of food. It's just a different taste. Like that first album was like steak. The second album I feel was like chicken. Mm-hmm. Depending on, you know, if you got a taste for steak or you got a taste for chicken. Right? Yeah, it all depends on what you're craving for that particular day. Now, being around mm-hmm. Uptown and everything, did you have any um, association? Is not really the word I want to say, but did you hear any rumblings about Nesto Velasquez? Um, I'm gonna call Nesto on the phone right now. That's my dude. Yeah, I had a chance. Nesto Velasquez. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I had a chance to interview Nesto some years ago on my um, radio show in college, and he was telling me that originally he was supposed to have been in Barrio Boys, and when I interviewed Joe Jacket, he confirmed that Nesto was supposed to have been in Barrio Boys, because when I first heard personality, I was like, man, this dude, Puerto Rican, New Jack Swing. I'm, I'm going to work with, I'm going to work in 2021. I'm sure I'll do a couple of records with Nesto. We already had the conversation about it. Um, he's here in New York. Um, Will Swing from Paris actually connected us back. But um, back in the 90s, me and Nesto used to talk on the phone back and forth and stuff when he was signed to Uptown. You know, I wanted them to do the whole album. But what happened was Mary J. Blige came right with Nesto. So they put all their eggs in the basket with Mary J. Blige. And that's that's what happened with Nesto, Nesto Vasquez. His, he has a phenomenal voice. Yeah, yeah. because yeah, when I listened to Personality, I was like, man, vocally, he sounds just like Christopher Williams. Mm-hmm. Yep. Very yep, much yep, so yep. like Christopher Wimps. And I thought that when Christopher Wimps made the switch from Geffen to Uptown for the Changes album, I think that was where he really found his footing because no offense to Geffen, they weren't really heavy on the R&B side and I felt that they didn't know what to do with him. But once he got to Uptown, boom. Yeah. Right. So after the New Life album, Without giving too much, since we know that it's going to be in the documentary, um, yeah. who are some of the other people that you guys ended up uh, working with after after New Life? Um, after New Life, um, Terrell Hicks, the actress from The Bronx Tale, um, I produced her demo. She went over with Tommy Mottola, Sony. We got her deal over there. Um, I did John Legend's Mother's uh, Phyllis, her gospel album. Um, Kenny did some stuff with Will Smith. Um, Ty- Worked with Tyrese and Will Smith and um, other artists. I, I forget which one, but he did a few projects right before he passed. Yep. Yeah, because I think he did um, some vocals for Camera on his SDE album, I believe. Yeah, he did a song, he did a song on SDE and he did one on AZ album too. Yep. Mm, and then yeah, he also- got one on AZ yeah, and then also right around this time too, you guys were on New York Undercover covering what's going on. So how did you guys end up? I need up- that record. I need that record, man. We went to the studio and um, the producer was there and I saw how on hands-on he was with what he was doing, how his lyric sheets was and how organized he was. And I didn't learn until like an hour into the session that it was M. Tume. James and Toomey, that's who he was working with. I was like, wow, this dude is, is a legend. I know his records. And um, I wish we could get get our hands on that whole record right there. That What's Going On is a definitely a hot single. It's produced by James and Toomey. Yes, 
James and Tume, for those that don't know people, Juicy Fruit, you, me, mm-hmm. and he, all the yeah. classic stuff. Now with songwriting and production, do you think mm-hmm. that everything tends to flow freely when there's not a lot of label interference and saying, hey, we want to hear a rough cut of this and just let it come organically? That's what's going on with, with, with us right now with the with the documentary. Like me and Jason, we're AR in the soundtrack for the documentary. We are AR. We just report straight to the top of the label right now. And I'm noticing like a whole like like it's just easier to breathe. It's easier to sleep at night, not trying to impress an AR, you know, because I I've always felt like the AR is all smoke and mirrors anyway. You know, you you know, they want you to rub their feet and you know, it's just like just having the freedom to do like, like a lot of the, the bigger pop groups and rock and roll groups, like what they've been doing forever. I feel like that's the opportunity that we've been given now where we can just skip past the A&R route and go directly to the label. Like, this is what we got. And they're okay with that. So, um, mm, And yeah. since we're on the topic of this, the 35th anniversary of Control just passed and Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis was telling a story about how when they were making the Control album, they didn't tell anybody about making the Control album. They snuck Janet up to Minneapolis the flight time, started the record so that way they could have no interference from the label or her people. And I feel that's when the best music comes, when you're able to create and flow freely without anybody micromanaging saying, uh, you got to turn in your rough cut by this time because we're trying to release your album by fourth quarter. Right. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Like, the, the freedom is just allowing us to just like find stuff that we forgot about and come up with new stuff. And it's just like, you know, I, I can't talk about it too much. Like, you know, like what you like what you was just saying, it's like there's a lot of good things that's going on, man. A lot of good things, a lot of good things. Right. And and like I said, once the ink dries and when you can talk about it, you got a spot yeah. here. And who are some of the influences production-wise on you? Um, producers Babyface, LA, um, Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis, Teddy Riley. Um, producers, producers. That's pretty much that's that's my that's my pretty much that I could think about without thinking hard. Right, because when Cause, we think, yeah, because when we think about L.A. Babyface, Teddy, and Jam and Lewis, they pretty much had R&B and pop radio in a stranglehold late '80s and early '90s. And then I will also say that. Prior to Teddy and New Jet Swing, Full Force laid the groundwork for what was to come with their work with Lisa Lisa and the Cult Jam, UTFO, and their own work. Mm. So of course it would be the it would be Untouchables, Prince, Full Force. Um, you know, I have to I have to think deeper, but the top ones was like, yeah, Babyface, LA Babyface, Jam, Terry Lewis. Those guys right there. Right. Yeah, and, I, and I, the music, music that I grew up on. Right. And then I also want to throw this guy's name in the mix for production. That bad brother, multi-instrumentalist, bad music director, Mr. Chucky Booker. Chucky Booker. Yeah, let me tell you, man. Um, first time I went to Los Angeles, I was in a chorus. And um, 
after our performance later on that night, we went out to a club in Los Angeles. And the first time I ever saw somebody performing live, it was Chucky Booker. He had the song, um, Turned Away. Turned away, turned away from love. That was the very first time I saw somebody perform live on stage. Shout out to Chuck, Chucky Booker, man. Wow. And I'm going to tell like you- on something. Yeah, I'm going to tell you something that's crazy about uh, Turned Away. I had a chance to interview Chucky and then also Alan, Steve, John John, and Rodney from Troop confirmed this for me. Turned Away was originally supposed to be a Troop record. Oh, wow. But when Red my, Red my Wings and Turned Away are almost, they're not identical, but they're very similar mm -hmm. in, in, in structure if you listen to both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. They're very, very similar. Right, so what ended up happening was when Chucky played Turned Away for Sylvia Rome, she told him, nope, this is going on your album. And he was trying to tell her, no, this is a Troop record. And she wouldn't budge. So when he told Troop that Sylvia said to keep Turned Away for his album, they said, we want a song similar. And that's how we get Spread My Wings. Okay. But I, I didn't know that, but, but obviously you can hear that. You can hear, you can hear the, yep. um, the tone and a similar um, song structure to it. It's very simple. Mm -hmm. And can we talk about the impact of the production work and songwriting of uh, I'll Be Sure and Cal West, who I just had on the podcast, by the way? Yeah, shout out to Al, uh, I'll Be Sure and Cal West. Like That was pretty much before us. I was just a fan. I remember going to their, to their concerts because um, Nelson's brother was the drummer for I'll Be Sure. So we had a chance to go like see them in Virginia and New York, Madison Square Garden and stuff like that. I really don't know too much about the production, but I know from working with Navelle Hodge, like, you know, that similar swag and stuff like that and being around Heavy and, and Eddie and those guys, that whole Mount Vernon vibe, yeah. But I, I can't honestly speak on the production of that because it was way before us. Right, yeah. right. And with the production equipment during the early 90s, you really had to be creative because if you were going to sample a record, the sampling time was very low. So you had to manipulate the record by speeding up the pitch on the turntable. Mm -hmm. So that way you could get more but sampling you, time. You turntables like this real, real fast so you could sample. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you yeah, like four yeah, four seconds of sample time, and you really had to be quick with it. And how we mentioned earlier, yeah. technology making everything more convenient. It feels like we're going back to the do-it-yourself mode of the late 80s, early 90s, and prior, where you couldn't afford to go to a major studio unless you had a wad full of cash. You had to pretty much do it in a kitchen or use your bathroom as a vocal booth and just really just get it out the mud. Yeah, just, we've we music done. came out that though. If you look at the music that came out from that era, it was very organic because it was just real music. Hip hop was all in, uh, independent up and through to 1991, I think. Nas is one of the first major label um, rappers. I think he's literally, he might be the first actual major label rapper because he was signed directly to Columbia without any subsidiaries. And it's just, hip hop was a, was a different organism. If you listen to even what intro became, it's almost like it was directly connected to that era. If you listen, their, their music was R&B, but it was definitely, definitely super hip hop, organic hip hop influence. It wasn't like the watered down version. I was listening to um, Boys and Men's first album today, 
classic album, dope, um, real dope album. But when they was doing Under Pressure, they was like, let's do something for the Jeeps. And I was like, it's wild because when they did that, that was as close to hip hop in a sense that R&B would have gotten to. But when the intro came around, they were able to take that that really hip, hip, hip hop, hardcore hip hop um, fans was like, yo, that's what's up right there. It was, it was romantic, but it was it was hard. Right. <laughs> you know? mentioned the boys, the man, Cooley I Heart. Cooley High Harm Cooley High Harmony album, classic, one of the early productions works of a young Dallas Austin who was also on fire with ABC and he did my music and I'll always love you on Troops Attitude album, one of his first two early production credits. Right, okay. right. But the characters did a lot of good records for um Boys and Men too, um Troy Taylor and them. They did they did some really dope records for them at that time too. Right. Real good stuff. Right. And then another unsung production crew that I feel that doesn't get mentioned enough, Three Boys from Newark. Yeah. Vincent Herbert. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at that earlier today. They did some work on the Changes album as well and some other stuff. So classic. Right. And what do you think, in your opinion, anyone can take this that makes New Jack Swing and Hip Hop Soul so special? Because we're still talking about it three plus decades later, and then the offshoots of all of the people that emerged from that movement, you know, Missy and Timberland being under Devontae, Neptunes being under Teddy. It was the streets. It was organic. That's my, is that if, if you look at, and I mean, I'll say this, I'll let Buddy answer the rest of it. If you look at what hip hop was in the 80s and the 90s, it wasn't something that was made by a corporation. Hip hop in the 80s and the 90s was made in somebody's basement. And so the streets, it's like now what they do in music turns to be a reflection in the streets. Back then, what you did in the streets turned out to be a reflection in music. And so everything that, 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 that came out of it, whether it was the slang, whether it was the loops, whether it was just the, the, the way we moved, the way we dressed, everything came from the street. It didn't come from any kind of industry or TV show or nothing. What we did in the street, if you look at Prior to hip hop in the 80s, you got to think like this RB, look, look at what even African Ben Baden was rocking in the early days of hip hop. Look at what the Ashley Brothers was rocking. They, this stuff was not stuff that people in the uh, everyday people were doing. So when hip hop at Run DMC on up to 95 ish, hip hop was strictly streets. And so all of that, that sound, the New Jack swing sound and, and hip hop RB soul. They, they they basically took what was going on with hip hop and just it started to spill into R and B, and that's why you listen to what Intro did with with with, with, with um that first album, is it was super groundbreaking. I, I get pissed when people don't really acknowledge them. I, I love Jodeci. Jodeci's uh, one of the dopest groups ever. I love Boys and Men, one of the dopest groups ever. But Intro to me, you brought up Guy. Intro was like taking Guy on steroids to me. It was like taking that sound that 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 Aaron was doing was very much what Kenny was doing. You look at, at the production of, of what Buddy and was putting out. That's your Teddy Riley. You look, you know what I'm saying. If you're looking at at, at Damon with, with the dancing thing, that's Jeff. It was all of the elements of Guy, but it was on a whole harder, way edgier, stronger, um, you know, groove. And so that's why, to me, I think if you look at what New Jack Swing was, Teddy birth the sound and they these guys took it to the next level and really made it like 
you can't you can't infuse uh I think even like Sadatics was saying in the um in the doc, he was like, yo, he said it was just a whole new sound where you were taking what we were doing and kind of taking that and, and singing to it. If you listen to Slow Down, um think about it. Who would think to sing over Slow Down? Who would ever think that you could put a, a vocal arrangement to that beat? I wouldn't even, you know, I wouldn't even conceive that at the time. So when you take those those, those rhythms and those beats, it, it's, it's hip hop, it's the streets, it, it, it's just it's everything that 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 black music should have been and could have been in that era. They just took it to the next level. Mm, and then fashion, if you take a look at it, R and B prior to New Jack Swing and hip hop soul, you were wearing suits getting suited and booted and it was all about being smooth but once the hip-hop element came in clothes started getting a little bit more baggier images started becoming a little bit more darker Timberlands became fashion de jour because i can remember being a kid in north carolina and when somebody from up top would come down south with some tims or whatever the hottest fashion was we'd be like oh then that's what they wear so we kind of took our cue what was going on in New York and then also added our own little span to it and say, hey, we're from here, but the basis started in New York because New York, I felt, set the trends for everywhere else. Yeah, I agree. Well, you can add to that, but I, I, I agree. I mean, New York in the 80s and the 90s was a miraculous place and it was reflected in the um, entertainment that came out of um, New York. If you look at um, New York Undercover and all the shows, uh, Living Single, uh, all of those shows, they were trying to reflect that New York living. If you listen to the music, the music was was just ridiculous out of New York at that time. And I'm not saying, look, we love Cali, we love the South, we love all of that. But New York had a, had a bend to it when it first began that a lot of places, you know, caught on to, you know, as it went along. But it spread like wildfire because the streets in New York in the 80s and 90s were gully and it was, it was strong and the music was just a reflection of those streets. Right. And you definitely didn't want to get caught in certain spots with the fashion because if you ran into some heavy hitters, then it'll be tuck your chain in, get it snatched, get your pants taken, get whatever you had taken because they were coming for your neck. <laughs> you know how to move in New York if you lived there. You know, look, you you knew you knew what bus got robbed every day. You knew, you knew what corner to stay mm. on. That's just New York. Yeah, and if you were out of town, you kind of had to know somebody in the hood, make sure they play some calls so that you can move and shake because you don't want to get hit up like, hey, where you from? And when you get asked that and it's the wrong answer, the wrong answer can be costly, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, that can definitely be the wrong answer. So... Now, with over in Europe, they took what was out in America with New Jack Swing, they call it Swing Beat, and they add their own element to it as well with acts such as Riverman Bass out of the UK, uh, Zype out of the Netherlands. So, buddy, what was your thoughts on when going overseas and seeing the reach and influence that New Jack Swing and Hip Hop Soul has had on the international scene? Oh, when we went over to Europe, it's like... Just, I kind of felt like we was home. I was surprised because I thought we'd be going into like this untouched territory and we would have to go there and work our way into it and introduce the sound to people. When we got there, they knew who we were. They knew the words. And, um, you know, New Jack Swing has set it up properly for us because when we first went to, um, like, um, England, we went with, like, MC Light 
and Shell Pepsi Riley. I think that was the very first time we touched down over there. And then we just, you know, continue going back. Next time's like SWV and Mediude and another time H Town and Silk and, you know, so um, uh, United States record companies did a great job marketing in in that part of the world into like in like the European territory. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like one one piece of one piece of ground. Like United States and Europe, as far as music is concerned, it's like one and the same. Right, and then of course we can still feel the reach of New Jack Swing and hip hop soul in the Far East, over in Japan and in Korea, because we see BTS and what they're doing in the whole K-pop movement. It's pretty much New Jack Swing on steroids. Yeah, exactly. Yep, the big influence that started up top. Now, before we wrap, do you have? Any current projects that you're working on that you can speak on that we should be on the lookout for? The documentary and the soundtrack. All right, the doc and the soundtrack. And that, give the that, people the dates of the, of the documentary and the soundtrack. Give it to them again. Saturday, June 4th. One more time. Saturday, June 4th, 2021. Like music month. And um, it's gonna be it's gonna be a banger. Buddy got some crazy records. I don't know if you heard High yet, but High is like fire right there. He's he's, he's torching it up in the studio, and and I think we got we got enough tracks that it's gonna be a really ridiculous album. The old stuff, the new stuff. Um, you know, the doc is gonna be crazy. Just like a, a, we get ready to release the new trailer for the doc in four weeks. Um, we're gonna have a um the, the initial private screening in four weeks as well. And then we're gonna um this you know this all gas no breaks after that from from March into June we're just gonna be putting out bits and pieces until the actual um doc drops play. You're gonna be amazed when you see it. I think if you are if you are a, a intro fan, if you're just a '90s R&B fan, I think this documentary is gonna hit you in your chest real hard. And I and Buddy gave like he worked his ass off, and I mean that to help me do everything that we can do to, to make sure that we, we reach out to everybody. Cole's in it, and Big Daddy Kane's in it, Dot X is in it, Woody from Drew Hill is in it, Kiko Kid is in it. We got we got enough, like everybody's just in this joint. Donnell Jones is in it. Mr. And Cheeks. people are just talking, to, yeah, Mr. Cheeks is in it. It's just so, it, it, it's, it's so many people paying homage to this group. It's one, like I said again, and I'll say this and I'll let you rap. Intro to me, ridiculous one of the most underrated groups um unsung slept on on this um on this doc so we stepped up on it and we got it done and i'm, I'm not gonna lie to you we it, it, it hit right covid hit literally what was it like six months into um filming and we were gonna we would have been wrapped probably a year ago if there was no covid and you know we still kept rocking and, 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 and people still kept coming out and giving us interviews and doing their things so Shout out to Big Daddy Kane, who, who met with me during the um the COVID joint. Coco met with me during COVID. All, you know, a lot of people that came out because that's how much they love this group. And, I, and I'm telling you what, if you don't love intro, by the time you finish watching this documentary and hearing the um the, the soundtrack drop, you're going to be a fan if you wasn't a fan. And I don't know how you wasn't a fan all along because they set the tone regardless of what anybody ever tell you. Intro set the tone for the 90s R&B. 
everybody came out after that. Jagged Edge, and like I said, even like the stuff with with, with, with all of the different artists that were um, running hip hop on the Mary J. Blige, her whole career, everything. It, it, it's all, like, to me, intro did it. And I'll say this last thing. Even Jodeci, when, when you listen to all of the songs that Jodeci did on the first album, they went back and did remixes to every song, if you want to be honest. And why do you think they did that? And I'm just being honest with you, because they, they Jodeci had stupid slow jams, but they didn't have none of the um, up-tempo joints that were really killing it. And once Intro went in the studio and did what they did, they went back and remixed all them joints. Coco told me personally, she said this person, she said, yo, she said the intro album, the first intro album is better than our first album. And that's that's from that's right out of her mouth. So I'm just saying ridiculous group that did not get their, their due. Buddy's a phenomenal producer, killed what he did. Kenny was a great singer. Jeff definitely came through with the dance and everything else and gave his contribution. Dope, 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 dope group. And you're going to really get to see them shine when it comes time for this to drop. Yeah, we're definitely looking forward to it June 4th. And another thing before we wrap, you guys' remixes were so cold, man. The Ribbon in the Sky remix where you guys took the melody from the Clark Sisters. I was like, yo. You came my way. You came my way. Yeah. That song here is different when you're driving on Sunset Boulevard in California with the sun shining. In the top down, that part of the song, that's where it hits the best. If you could ever experience that, I would advise it. Yeah, it's very therapeutic. Yeah, definitely. You came my way, oh, living in the sky, the sky. But you gotta have the drop, you gotta have the top down. You gotta be driving down Sunset Boulevard, past the comedy club on the right, and headed, you know, heading on, headed on down the road. That's when it's gonna hit hard. Yeah, that's man. for the full experience. Yeah, North Hollywood. Yeah, definitely gotta get the full experience of that for the Ribbon in the Sky remix. And where can people go to find more information about the documentary? There's gonna be a website coming up in about a few weeks. That's gonna be when we do the premiere. It's gonna actually the website is gonna debut at the same time. Um, it'll have all the information on the doc. It'll have all of the background information. I have to be honest with you, we, we even like as far as sending information to Wikipedia. We even slowed down on that because I want to make sure that when people see the doc, they're not sitting there just trying to look for stuff. They're going to actually watch it and enjoy what they see. You're going to, I'm telling you, we'll have the information out in a few weeks. You're going to love it. I promise you. The, 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 um, the new trailer will drop, like I said, at the same time. And when it does, um, and, and the actual streaming happens for the, for the, uh, the debut, we'll send you out a link. So you can join in. Uh, you know, we, we're definitely trying to, all the people who've been supporting, we want to make sure that we kind of bring everybody together, the people who, who stood in line in, in a sense that they see everything first. And then when June comes, that's when everybody, the public gets everything else. All right. So definitely market calendars, people, June 4th, music, lyrics, and life doc, us, New Jack Swing, hip hop soul lovers. We are looking forward to it. And you guys have any shouts you want to give before we wrap and also plug social media. Man, I want to give a shout out to Jason Evans from In The Flicks Films. Uh, and I look, I'm gonna give a shout out to Buddy then, because I'm gonna tell you what. That, uh, to me, like I said again, if you when you see the documentary, you understand what I'm saying. Dude's the heart and soul. And I, I, like I said, other than that, man, everybody who came out, we literally had what like 25 people that we interviewed for this yeah. documentary. For team, yeah. I, 
and, and Cheryl and, and all of these different folks, Kevin Woodley, um, like I said, all of the, 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 the known artists, but all of the people who you didn't even know who they were, like Peekaboo, um, what's your man, Junior, um, World of Soul, is that, is that, is that some yep, JR Soul, JR Music. Yeah, he came out and did his thing. We, we had so many people come out and show Probably love too. around and wait out Juice. Um, and Hazel and all these different folks that, that that were there, these folks were there from from the last thirty years, and they wanted to make sure that they had their contribution um, seen in this documentary. And it, it, I'm gonna be honest with you, it's been beautiful. Right. And a shout out to you, Joel, for allowing us to come on your platform tonight, man. Man, yes, it is not a Jason. Problem. Jason named everybody. He named. He didn't forget one single person, man. Yeah, it's not a problem. I appreciate you guys taking the time. It's all about giving people their flowers while they're here and just really mm -hmm. celebrating. You can catch these interviews in both audio and video form wherever you stream your podcast, Apple, Anchor, Breaker, TuneIn, Stitcher, Verbal, wherever you stream, and also on YouTube at youtube.com slash beyond the album cover. And join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash beyond the album cover to stay updated with the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, Buddy Wyke of Intro and Jason Evans, Director of Music, Lyrics, Thanks. and Life upcoming documentary on Intro June 4th. Thank you guys for coming on to the podcast. Our pleasure. Thanks for having us. No problem.